We're glad that you're here. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians this morning. If you would turn with me into 1 Thessalonians. Next week, we'll start the book of 2 Thessalonians. Been in prayer about what book to do after that and decided on the book of Revelation. So we're going to go into the book of Revelation after 2 Thessalonians. So let's pray together and ask God's blessing on the words. So Father, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness to be children of light. We're thankful to be your children. We ask that you would speak to us, uh, Holy Spirit, you'd lead us and guide us in truth, that you would enable us to live in your will for our lives. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. A dad would look at his children every time they walked out the door and say, remember that you're loved. I think that was a great encouragement for kids as they go out into this dark world. We're reminded from our text this morning that we're children of the light. That God has called us out of darkness. He's called us to be his children. If you remember from last week, we studied the rapture, the second coming of Christ. And Paul continues in that vein. He continues in that thought as we begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. We estimate from the book of Acts that Paul had about three weeks with this group of new believers. In that short amount of time... He instructed them on the times and the seasons of the second coming of Christ. So as we look at being children of light, we focus first on what we're to know. What do we know as children of light? And we should know the times and the seasons leading up to the second coming of Christ. Not the day, not the hour, but to know that times are changing and they're pointing to Christ's return. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Does that sound familiar? Does it seem to be the direction of our culture? Has it even taken place more in the last two years? So we want to be aware of the times and the seasons. And there's many places in scripture that point out those things for us. In verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Seems like a weird illustration to put Christ together with a thief in the night. It's not that Christ is a bad guy, but a thief comes by surprise. And for most people that don't know Christ as their Savior, Christ's return and his judgment is going to take them completely by surprise. A lot of unbelievers don't believe Jesus exists have a hard heart towards Christ, only see Christ as maybe even a, a cuss word. So when Christ returns, it's going to blow their minds. It's going to surprise them the way a thief would surprise them. In verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So prior to the coming of Christ, people will be saying peace and safety. Things are the way that they've always been. There's no problem. There's, there's no difficulty. But then here comes the, the judgment of Christ. 
Also, the illustration is for a woman going into to labor. Moms, you know, once active labor's started, you can't stop it, right? It's coming. The baby's coming. And once God's judgment begins, it cannot be stopped or escaped. Here's the contrast for us. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So we're not in darkness. Part of being children of light, part of what we know, is the second coming of Christ. And it shouldn't take us by surprise. It shouldn't take us as a thief that comes in the night. It's amazing how quick a week goes. If you were with us last Sunday, we talked about the rapture of the church, talked about being more mindful of his imminent return. Did you find yourself thinking more about the second coming of Christ this week? Or did we get back into survival mode? I know for me, as I get into the work week, just thinking about all the things that we've got to get done, all the places that the kids have got to go, tasks that need to be uh, completed, and it can be easy to forget about the promise of the second coming of Christ. But we're encouraged here that this is something we should focus on. This is something that we should be watching for and be prepared so when the coming of Christ does happen, that we're not surprised. How many believers are going to be surprised by the second coming of Christ? I hope that we're, we're prepared and we're ready. We're not caught unaware. This next section, we see who we are, who we are as children of light. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the dark, not of the night, nor of the darkness. We are children of light. This is who God has made us to be. God in and of himself is light. No darkness dwells in the Lord. When we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with with one another. We need to be reminded, hey, we're children of light. Our lifestyle is set apart from those that don't know Christ as their savior. We get the opportunity to, to shine the love of God into the lives of those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Sometimes we can get frustrated with unbelievers. Why do you act this way? Why do you think this way? Those those types of of things. But remember what our life was like when we were in darkness. God's called us out of darkness, and now we get the opportunity to love those and point people to Christ that that don't know him as their, their Savior. So who we are is children of light. Therefore, in light of this, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In chapter 4, Paul used the word sleep to describe someone who's died in Christ, well, that will be raised up at Christ's return. This week, he's talking about sleep in regards to being spiritually asleep, not being dead, but in this condition of being spiritually asleep. It's possible to be God's child. By the way, this is not a good message to fall asleep on me. So I'll call you out this morning. (laughs) Normally I'll just let you get some rest, but to be spiritually asleep is to be the child of God, but yet we're not alive unto Christ. I know there's been times in my, my journey with the Lord where I look back, unfortunately, and go, that's a season where I was asleep. And God doesn't want us to, to be in that place of being asleep. He wants us alive unto him, alive unto his purposes, alive unto his calling upon our lives. If you find yourself in that place this morning where you say, 
I feel asleep. I, I feel like I'm in that spiritual fog. Ask the Lord to wake you up. And what I find for my soul, what wakes me up spiritually is the love of God. When I first got saved, it was the love of God that won me over. That God loved me when I didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And when I focus on God's grace and Christ's sacrifice for me upon the, for my sin, his unconditional love for me, that, that wakens my soul. I think it's the love of God that wakes us up more than anything else. One of the things that I've been encouraged about the last year and a half is I'm watching the church wake up spiritually. Our church, but also other churches, the body of Christ as a whole, I think that that's what God's doing in these times to where we're alive in worship. We're having a stirred hunger and commitment to the word of God. There's a greater desire for believers to be in, in fellowship. We're excited to open up and launch our small groups in August. A lot of new groups are starting in our church and there's a fresh hunger to, to be in fellowship with one another. I'm seeing a greater desire to reach the lost and, and care for those that don't know Christ as, as their savior. Wouldn't it be wonderful in our lifetime to see spiritual revival, to, to see the church be, be alive, to see unbelievers come to know Christ as their savior. One of the ways that we're awake spiritually is to be watchful and to be self-controlled. The word sober means self-controlled. We're watching for the coming of Christ. We're being aware of our own sinfulness. We're watching for the attack of the enemy and to be self-controlled. In verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. These are things that God's called us out of as, as believers. The abuse of alcohol to be in a state of drunkenness to where the Holy Spirit can't be in control of our lives. Drugs, drugs controlling us instead of the Holy Spirit. This really speaks of God calling us out of a lifestyle of sin, calling us to live in the light. Verse eight, but let us who are of the day be sober, be self-controlled, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we're, we're putting these things on, faith and love. The breastplate protects the vital organs, and spiritually, our vital organs are protected by trusting the Lord, trusting in his love, putting on faith, putting on love. What protects our minds, thoughts are so important, is the hope of salvation. Today could be the day that God raptures the church. The hope of, well, if God doesn't come in my lifetime, someday I'm gonna pass away and forever be with the Lord. We should really celebrate the older we get because it's the closer we are to heaven. It's the closer we are to uh, salvation. We have this hope of, of salvation that protects our, our minds. We've placed that, that on us. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now Paul goes back to using sleep in regards to death, and he's saying whether we live or we die, we're going to be alive with and for Christ, so let's live for Christ. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So 
One of the ways that we're awake and alive spiritually is to comfort each other and to edify believers in the church of Thessalonica was doing that. You guys are doing that. You're doing a good job of edifying fellow believers and comforting fellow believers. And with that, God is, is glorified. In this last section, verse 12 through 23, we see what we're to do. What we're to do is, is children of light. So what we know, who we are, and then what we do. I really like the way that the Apostle Paul laid this out because sometimes when we think about, well, what does it mean to be a child of the light? Well, what does it really mean to walk in the light? Paul gets really specific with these exhortations. Verse 12, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. One of the ways that we walk as children of the light is to encourage each other. As you see someone laboring in the Lord, to come alongside of them and to tell them thank you. This week we're having vacation Bible school at the church. I can't tell you how much joy it brings me as a pastor to see our building be used for God's glory. You know, an empty church is no fun. Last summer, not having vacation Bible school, no fun. We got over 500 kids that are coming out to VBS this week. Parents are really excited to sign their kids up for stuff this summer, right? (laughs) And there's probably about 100 people that have volunteered to serve and responded in saying, we want to come alongside these kids. I was thinking about that. People are giving up vacation time to spend a week with snot-nosed kids. There's a lot of other things you can do with vacation, but they're like, man, we're going to take a week off work, and we're going to love on these kids. You guys were so gracious to give snacks. We don't need any more snacks because we have so much snacks. And so if you've got kids coming to VBS, if you're inviting neighbor kids to come, thank those that, that are serving. You know, they're not getting paid. They're here because of, of their love for Christ. And, and that's just a small way. You know, there's many of you that are serving in, in so, so many ways. And, and as you come alongside someone's service, encourage them. If you're like, man, I can't serve uh, all week, and man, they already have snacks, but I'd like to get a behind VBS right after service over in children's ministry. We're gonna start decorating the whole church for vacation Bible school. Guys, we could use you as well. There's some some heavy lifting in the process and many hands make, make light work. But pass on that encouragement to those that are serving the Lord. Maybe you've got someone at your work that's really living out their faith. Let them know that you notice. Hey, it encourages me the way that you love Jesus in this secular, dark workplace. In verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. At times we need warning. At times we need to give warning. If someone's going off the rails, starting to walk in disobedience, warn them because it's going to lead to pain and destruction. But other times there's a need for comfort. Someone is faint-hearted. They need comfort. They're weak, they need to be upheld, but patient with all. If someone's unruly, be patient with them. If they're faint-hearted, be patient with them. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. This may have been the first Bible verse that I ever memorized. So my mom would share with my brother and I, don't return evil for evil. Because we were terrorists, right? We were always fighting 
uh, with, with each other. And it's like, don't return evil for evil. It's hard if someone really accosts you with evil to not respond with evil. Notice how it is when we're driving. If someone really cuts you off, our response is not like, the Lord bless you. You needed that space more, more than I did. So if you're in that place where someone has committed evil against you, don't return it with, with evil. It's just going to lead to destruction. It's just going to be evil going back and forth. By, by choosing not to return evil for evil, it places the offender in God's hands. But always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. What's good for all that are involved in this situation? We come to this command, rejoice always. God is commanding us as children of light to take the position of joy, to choose to take joy in the Lord. The word rejoice actually means to take joy again. And we do this in a lot of different facets of life. If, if you enjoy coffee, you rejoice in it time and time again, right? If you like Chick-fil-A, you just don't go there once, I know. They're doing well. And yes, they're closed on Sunday. Sorry to bring it up. <laughs> in a good friendship, you take joy in it time and time again. And for us, we're, we're coming to the well of salvation. We're coming to who God is as our Father. The promises that he has, has given to us and taking joy in the Lord. It's safe for us to take joy in the Lord. Because if we put our primary joy in other things, it's going to let us down. As wonderful as family is, your family is not Jesus. And they will be freed up to know that you understand that they're not Jesus. If you're married, go home today and say, babe, you're not Jesus. I just want you to know I'm not expecting you to be Jesus in my life. They're like, finally, thank you. I can't be Jesus in, in your life. Only one is the Lord. Only one can really provide that living water. The church is not Jesus. As wonderful as the church is, the family of God, the family of God is not Jesus. The family of God will let you down and disappoint you. There's only one Savior, Christ. Jesus gave such an important lesson to the disciples after they went out on their first missionary journey. They saw God move in incredible ways and they come back really excited. And Jesus said, no, I want you to rejoice, not in what you've seen and experienced, but that your name is written in heaven. Because there would be times that the disciples would not see God use their life. As wonderful as it is to serve the Lord, that's not our primary joy. Ministry is not our, our primary joy. We rejoice in who God is. We rejoice in what he has provided. This is a decision that we can make by faith and obedience not based on how we're feeling or our circumstance. If God's asking us to rejoice always, then that means there's gonna be times I'm rejoicing in the Lord in adversity. That means there's gonna be times where I'm choosing to rejoice even though I may not feel like it. Goes on, pray without ceasing. Pray without, without ceasing. This is continual fellowship with God, unbroken communion with God. We oftentimes think about time with God in the morning or in the evening. I, I had my quiet time, and that's wonderful and it's good. But it's not that time with God ends 
after that prayer time. Or, okay, God, I had some time with you on Sunday morning at church. I'll, I'll see you next Sunday. But it's that continual fellowship and relationship with God. Oftentimes, it's like a tickle in the throat where you just, you can't help it, but you're going to continue to cough. Hasn't it been the worst time to have a cough through the pandemic? I mean, have you accidentally coughed at the grocery store? You're a super spreader, right? There was times at the, the peak of the pandemic where I'm, I'm teaching and I had a little bit of cough. and It's the worst time as a pastor to cough through your message, right? That's what I think about with prayer without ceasing is, is I want that tickle in my soul that reminds me I need to talk to God. I need to be in, in fellowship with him. And that leads to in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What's God's will for you, for me, is to be grateful. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will. What's humbling is how many days of my life I've spent outside of God's will because I haven't been grateful, because I haven't been thankful. We oftentimes think of these exhortations separate, but they go together. When joy and prayer get married, their firstborn child is gratitude. If we're in a place of taking joy in the Lord, if we're in a place of fellowship with God, what's going to result is gratitude in our lives. Let's enter into that right now. What are some things that you're thankful for? What's one thing you're thankful for about who God is and something that he's done for you recently? This is who you are. This is what you've done for me. Is there a particular person or situation that we tend to be grumbling and complaining about? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Who's that person that you just find yourself going, oh, they're so hard to deal with and you can't get away from them. You're related to them. <laughs> they're a coworker. You're like, oh, Monday's coming. I gotta see them. I got to spend time with them and allow yourself to move off of that track of grumbling and complaining and start to be thankful. Is there a situation? Is there, there a difficulty that you can't get away from? It's going to be a part of your life and you, and you find yourself, well, why does it have to be this way? Grumbling and complaining leads to more grumbling and complaining. It always multiplies. And thanksgiving leads to more thanksgiving. Gratitude leads to more gratitude. Don't you love being around genuinely thankful people? They're just fun to be around. But it can wear on us being around someone who's grumbling and complaining. We start grumbling and complaining about the grumbler and complainer. Right? Why would God say that this is his will for us? Because he knows what's best for us our souls start to unravel. There's the downward spiral of the soul when we enter into that place of, of grumbling and complaining. Romans chapter one lays out the, dis, the digression of the soul. And one of the elements is being unthankful. So when we're in that place of unthankfulness, we're actually in dangerous ground uh, spiritually. Choose thanksgiving. As we do that, we're in God's will. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not cut off the work of the, the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Why maybe would we 
quench the work of the Spirit in our lives? One reason is because of misunderstanding. I think a lot of times we misunderstand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and we go, if I really submit myself to the control of the Holy Spirit, am I gonna bark like a dog? Am I gonna laugh uncontrollably? Am I gonna be thrown down onto the, to the ground? How did Jesus describe the Holy Spirit? As a helper, a teacher, a comforter? Do you need a helper? Do you need a comforter? Do you need a teacher? I, I do. We don't need to be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't need to misunderstand uh, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Oftentimes we quench the Holy Spirit because we don't want to surrender control. We want to be in control instead of the Holy Spirit being in, in control. So it's this feeling and fight for control. I don't want to surrender that control. Sometimes it's just disobedience. We, we know what the Spirit wants us to do, but we're saying no to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the key to the Christian life. We can't live this out on our own. We can't conjure it up by ourselves. Not by power, by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives. Jesus told us to ask for the work of the Spirit. Ask for the empowering of the Spirit. It says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. Isn't it fun to bless your kids? Even more fun to bless your grandkids. Then he says, I will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Well, we already have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But God wants us asking for that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't quench the, the Holy Spirit. Well, what is it that the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in our lives? In this awakening of the church, wouldn't it be wonderful to really experience a fresh move of the Holy Spirit that's real? That we were walking in the Spirit and we were understanding how the flow of the Spirit was taking place in our lives. Do not despise prophecies, verse 20. It's easy to despise prophecy because of all of the abuses of words from the Lord. I always get really skeptical when someone comes up to me and says, well, the Lord told me to tell you. It's like, really? The Lord told you to tell me? Because oftentimes it, it, it leads to some weird thing that they want to declare over my life. There's been a few occasions where guys in the church have gone to women in the church and says, you know, the Lord really told me that we're to be married. It's like, you're a weirdo. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, get away from her, right? So there's all this baggage with words of prophecy. And so it's easy to dismiss it all together. I think God knew that. And that's why he gives us this encouragement. Don't despise prophecies. God could speak a supernatural word over a situation or a person if he so desired. The balance to this is verse 21, test all things, hold fast to what is good. So if someone does share a word of prophecy, you think it's from the Lord, test it. Make sure it lines up with scripture, with who Jesus is, with the practices that we see in the early church and hold fast to what is good abstain from every form of evil. Our flesh wants to get as close to the line as possible, but technically I'm okay. And God says, abstain from evil, even the form of evil. Even if something's not evil, but it looks evil, abstain from it. 
Remember, Jesus was anointed with gladness above all of his fellows because he hated wickedness and he loved righteousness. Jesus didn't want anything to do with with evil. He came to give us abundant life. We're going to find that abundant life in in loving what is right and, and hating wickedness. In verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace himself, he will sanctify you completely. Sanctification is God's work in our lives. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ, being set apart for his purposes and holiness. And thankfully, God is committed to working that in us. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And he's going to work on our spirit. He's going to work on our soul. He's going to work on our, our body. He's going to preserve us blameless. He, he wants us to be pure at the coming of, of Christ. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. A wonderful promise in the midst of these exhortations. Oh, I'm not that thankful I'm really not rejoicing. I'm not abstaining from every form of evil. I'm not walking as a a child of light. God is faithful. God is faithful and he he will do it. He will see us through and move us into this direction of greater holiness. Brethren, pray for us. Paul had the humility and belief in the power of prayer to ask for prayer. He prayed for others, but he also saw the need to be prayed for. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, I actually want to take a little bit of time to teach on this this morning and not just joke around about it because I normally just joke around about it. But this was the cultural way of greeting each other. This was the handshake. This was the holy side hug that we give each other here in America. And we've kind of stopped greeting each other, haven't we? Well, I think it's time to greet each other. I think it's important, and that's why it's put in Scripture for us. And so I would encourage you, if you feel comfortable, is to shake hands when you're here. Like, you see another believer, and greet him with a handshake. Greet him with with a hug. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. We totally understand. But I think it's been long enough. I really do. And God has created us for physical touch. There's a reason that God says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Not just a, hey, how, how you doing, right? Because there's something that happens to our souls when there is that human touch that comes from a handshake and comes from a hug. God has really used Donnie, our facilities director, who's chosen to greet people at this door at every service that that we have. He really sees it as his ministry to be there, to be ready, to greet you. I know how much you appreciate it because you line up at this door (laughs) to to be greeted. When when that is missing, there's something largely missing in in our church. One of the things that I really love about the Ugandan culture is they take time to greet each other. If you come into a Ugandan's home, into their the hut, 
Everybody that's there in the home will stop and and greet that person that has come in. If someone comes into your home, it's really rude to not get up and to, to greet them. And oftentimes with that greeting, they'll stop and ask, how's your family doing, right? And we can get really calloused as Americans where where our greeting is not even to notice someone or to kind of go, right? Even in our own families, there's a lot of power to greet each other. My grandma and grandpa Warren both lived to be in their late 90s. And my grandma, she would wake up first. They lived on a 11 acres outside of Vancouver, Washington, not too far from Portland. They never had a furnace and they never had a a washer and dryer. It was wood stove heat. So in the kitchen, she had a wood stove that she wouldn't use to cook on, but that was the, the heat. So she'd get up early, and she'd get that fire going, and my grandpa would get up, and I knew them in their 80s and, and 90s, and he'd come in and find my grandma, and he'd always give her a, a kiss on the lips. And it was a little gross, you know, as a, <laughs> as a kid. But I really appreciated it. You, you, could, you could see that love that they had for each other by finding each other in the morning and giving each other a greeting. Like, take the time in the morning to give your family a hug, you know, to, to express that love for each other. I think that unbelievers need this. Unbelievers need that warmth that comes from, from Christ. If we could hang out with Jesus for the day, I think he was loving on people. He was like, giving hugs, giving handshakes, like expressing the love of the Father to people that he was around. If we lose this long term, we've really lost something. And so as you feel comfortable and you feel led by the Spirit, greet each other. In verse 27, I urge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're left in the arms of God's grace. We're children of light, And as children of light, let's first embrace what we know. We need to stand on what we know, and that is that this world is not all there is. This craziness, this madness is signs of the times, and it's leading to the rapture of the church. It's it's leading to the second coming of Christ. We want to, as children of light, be awake spiritually. Let's embrace who we are. We're children of light. We're not children of darkness. We don't want to be walking in the things of this world. We want to be walking in the things of God. If your soul has gotten to that place of spiritual slumber, ask the Lord to wake you up. Meditate afresh upon the love of God. And then what we're to do, what we're to do, Is there one of these commands, is there one of these exhortations that really stands out to you this morning? Is it a stain from every form of evil? Is it rejoice always? Is it pray without ceasing? Is it this greet one another? I'm not very good at this. I don't really want to grow in taking time to to greet fellow believers. But take one of those. Hold on to, to one of those. Write it down. Memorize it. These are powerful truths that God gives to us, how our lives could be set free from memorizing in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Memorize it. Put it in your heart. Okay, God, you've you've called me to be thankful. I have grumbled and complained about this enough. 
But what is it? What, what exhortation is God giving to you this morning to lay hold of and say, okay, I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to be children of the light. It's exciting times that we're living in. A great time to be able, through God's power, through his might, to be light, to go out and shine and share the love of Jesus Christ. If we're rejoicing and prayerful and thankful at work, guess what? We're going to be light. How many of your coworkers are not thankful at work? And be in that place of, man, I'm choosing thanksgiving. I'm choosing gratitude. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us, you've saved us, you've brought us out of darkness into light. We choose gratitude, we choose uh, thanksgiving. We do ask that you would cause us to be alive and to be awake spiritually, to be fully engaged with you and the plans that you have for, for our lives. Or would you plant your word deep into our hearts and may it bear fruit. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.